0: Should the SEC decide to go with an eight-game conference schedule for 2024 and beyond, the Kentucky Wildcats are the most ideal permanent opponent for South Carolina's football program. You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Lockdown Gamecocks Podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina Gamecock athletics. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and also a staff writer for Gamecocks Digest over on si.com. Thank you all so much for making the Lockdown Gamecocks Podcast. Your first listen or watch here today. We are free and available both wherever you get your audio podcast daily and also on YouTube. And this Wednesday edition of Lockdown Gamecocks is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to BirdDogs.com lockdown college. And when you enter promo code lockdown college, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order that you make. There's been a lot of discussion regarding realignment and its massive effect on the world of college football, both for 2023 and many years beyond it. And while obviously the SEC right now seems to be slowing down with expansion, at least for the moment, adding Texas and Oklahoma in 2024 means there's a schedule change coming. And the conference has been debated between both a 3-6 model and a 1-7 model. And there was a personality by the name of Michael Bratton on his Tuesday show for That SEC Podcast who provided some information regarding where the conference might be leaning. And apparently, the conference is leaning towards a 1-7 schedule model. And if that is indeed the case, the Kentucky Wildcats, in my opinion, would be the most likely annual opponent for South Carolina starting in 2024. And going beyond that season. There's a couple of different reasons why I think this way. Firstly, the way that things are going to fall throughout the entire conference if the SEC decides to go with a 1-7 model or 8-game conference schedule, meaning that there's, again, just one permanent opponent and seven rotating opponents for each team every single season. And if that ends up happening, then we're likely going to see a lot of in-state rivalries stay in place in this conference. Rivalries like the Iron Bowl between Alabama and Auburn, the Egg Bowl between Mississippi State and Ole Miss. You'll see Tennessee and Vanderbilt likely be permanent opponents, Texas and Texas A&M. You've also got other rivalries like Georgia and Florida and Oklahoma and Missouri that just make too much sense from a distance and historical standpoint. And taking all of those teams out of the equation, for South Carolina, that would just leave teams like LSU, Arkansas, and Kentucky as far as potential annual permanent opponents goes in this 1-7 model. And when I throw out these three teams... Which one makes the most sense for South Carolina? It's not really LSU. Yeah, they joined the conference along with Arkansas in 1992, but besides that, there's not a whole lot of ties there either. The team that makes the most sense here is the Kentucky Wildcats, and there's a couple of reasons why, honestly, this matchup does make sense, whether you like it or not as a South Carolina Gamecock fan. There's a familiarity between both of these schools. South Carolina and Kentucky have been annual opponents since the 1992 season, the season again which South Carolina joined the SEC Conference. And to this point, while there's been some long stretches where one team has sort of dominated the series, it's been pretty close between the two schools. The Gamecocks currently own a 19-14-1 series record against the Kentucky Wildcats and in the Gamecocks 34 contests with Kentucky to this point, 16 of those 34 games have been decided by one score, meaning eight points or less. That means basically for every one game in which it might be decided convincingly in the favor of one team, the very next game is more than likely going to be a really close bout between the Wildcats and the Gamecocks. And there's been a hatred that has started to brew between both fan bases over the past several years. Obviously, Kentucky probably loathed playing South Carolina every single year when Steve Spurrier was the head coach here in Columbia. And then Kentucky actually started to find some success against South Carolina right before Steve Spurrier walked out the door in 2015. They went on to win five straight games. They pretty much ran the series during the entire duration of the Will Muschamp tenure besides one lone loss to the Gamecock back in 2019, and then, of course, there was all the hoopla that happened in the offseason this past year, where Mark Stoops seemed to take an underlying shot at Shane Beamer talking about culture versus climate, wearing sunglasses versus being an old-school, hard-nosed, traditional head football coach, and the Cox, of course, in poetic fashion, wound up defeating the Wildcats on the field later in the fall, and Shane Beamer responded with, wearing sunglasses and doing some dancing in the locker room, which seemed to all but confirm that, yeah, uh, it was pretty clear that Mark Stoops was talking about Shane Beamer. So there's no love lost, to put it bluntly, between both of these programs right now. And here's the other question that we need to ask ourselves here. If this ends up happening, if we go with a 1-7 scheduling model in the SEC starting this next season, and Kentucky is South Carolina's permanent opponent, How should Gamecock fans feel about this? Well, in my opinion, Gamecock fans should feel great because, yes, it would stink for the Gamecocks to not be facing the Georgia Bulldogs annually anymore. And while some SEC fans might think that South Carolina fans are crazy who say that, I promise you there's a strong contingent of fans that would love to play the Bulldogs year round. But if it was Kentucky, look, long term, which program's ceiling is higher? Is it South Carolina's? Or is it Kentucky's? Has Kentucky already hit their ceiling under Mark Stoops? Where, yeah, they are going to be a respectable program that now you can't just expect to roll over. And every couple years, they'll have a 9-10 win season. That's pretty good for Kentucky standards. But are they actually going to ever do better than that? And also, while yes, there was a debate between Mark Stoops and John Calipari, apparently, just a few months back, on what kind of school Kentucky is... Uh, basketball runs that state. And it runs that school. Everyone and their mother knows that. And there's nothing that's going to change that short of Kentucky winning a national championship, which, let's be honest, that's just probably not going to happen. Even being an SEC team with the resources that they're afforded from the conference, Kentucky, in my opinion, does not have the consistent fan support, the consistent booster support, and they just do not position themselves well consistently when it comes to recruiting, especially based on sort of where they're located and where the talent pool is in terms of high school football talent in the United States. So bottom line, I do think that this matchup, it makes a lot of sense whether we like it or not. If the SEC goes with an eight game conference slate from this point, moving forward and for South Carolina, I think you have to love this again It would hurt not playing Georgia anymore annually, probably hurt not playing Tennessee anymore, but South Carolina playing Kentucky would be a win for South Carolina. Kentucky fans would feel like it'd be a win for Kentucky, and that's what makes this series great right now, is both teams feel like they should beat the other. That's what you want to see in the SEC. It makes for interesting headlines. It makes for a lot of excitement, and the SEC, I think, would love that out of a series like Kentucky and South Carolina. So that's just my overall opinion. But of course, I want to hear all of y'all's thoughts down below in the comment section on YouTube or shoot me a message on social media at line underscore SC. Let me know who do you think South Carolina's permanent opponent would be in a 1-7 SEC schedule model. Be really interested to hear all of y'all's thoughts on that. Now in just a couple moments, we're going to talk about some bad news for once for South Carolina in terms of the recruiting front, as Xavier and his coaching staff have actually lost a commitment for the 2024 cycle. Who was it, and what should we make of it? We'll dive into all of that in just a couple moments right here on Locked on Gamecocks. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Bird Dogs. Bird Dog shorts are the best shorts that you could possibly get out there. Heck, they're the best clothing that you could probably get out there, because they fit all the criteria that we all look for when it comes to clothes. They fit really good, they're really, really comfortable, and they're extremely versatile. I'm really excited because in about a month or so, I'll be going with my family down to the beach for a week for a much-needed vacation, and I can tell y'all right now, I definitely plan to bring my bird dogs with me to the beach, because... I'm going to be able to do a lot of things with bird dogs. I'm obviously going to be able to lounge around in them in the house throughout a couple of the afternoons while we're down there. I'm going to be able to go out to the beach in bird dogs. They can work as swimwear while I'm, of course, out there on the sand and in the water. And I can wear them to dinner as well and feel pretty good down there in the low country summer heat. And if you're interested in getting the best shorts of the summer, go to birddogs.com slash college right now and when you enter the promo code locked on college they'll throw in a complimentary custom bird dogs yeti style tumbler with every order that you make <laughs> Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. Thank you so much to all of you everydayers for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your daily choice for South Carolina Gamecock sports coverage. To go along with that sports coverage, I'm pleased to announce that the Lockdown Podcast Network has partnered with Sirius XM Radio, which means that y'all can catch the latest action for South Carolina Gamecock athletics. South Carolina's baseball team plays the LSU Tigers later this morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time in the SEC Baseball Tournament as the Gamecocks look to go on a run and try to lock up a regional host site for the NCAA Tournament. Catch every pitch of the South Carolina Gamecocks hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app by searching South Carolina or Gamecocks, and we'll be sure to dive into that matchup in just a little bit. But before we touch on that, let's talk about some negative news that Shane Beamer, the Gamecocks, got on the recruiting trail on Tuesday. As offensive line commit Mike Williams announced that he was reopening his recruitment and was decommitting from the South Carolina Gamecocks. Now, my main take from this recent development in Mike Williams' recruitment is that. This should not be a cause for concern for South Carolina Gamecock fans. And obviously, there could be a multitude of reasons as to why Mike Williams has now decommitted from South Carolina. Firstly, maybe Mike Williams wants to play a little bit closer to home. If Mike Williams was to come to South Carolina at the end of the recruiting process either way, that means that he would be 440 miles away from his current hometown in in Baltimore, Maryland. And obviously, there's a couple Big Ten teams that are interested in Mike Williams. Teams like Michigan State and Maryland. And he's also got some other solid Power 5 programs who have been pursuing him even since he committed to South Carolina. Teams like the Miami Hurricanes, the Trojans of Southern Cal, and also the Tennessee Volunteers. Mike Williams, yes, he is rated like 1,100 and whatever on a lot of the recruiting boards right now for these major recruiting service websites but I would not read that much into those rankings because clearly the offer list says that Mike Williams has got potential at the collegiate level and the other thing we got to keep in mind is maybe Mike Williams just wants a little bit more time maybe he feels like that he made an early decision and he wants to you know maybe go and check his options once again before he makes a final decision which if that is the case then Obviously, you got to commend him for that. I think that fans would appreciate that more so than Mike Williams being a commit of South Carolina's, yet taking visits to Miami, Michigan State, Maryland, while still having a spot in the class. I think that fans can appreciate that and respect that a great deal. So, there's, again, a multitude of reasons why Mike Williams might no longer be in this class, but the other question that I know Gamecock fans are going to bring up with this is, does this affect... Braden Lee. Braden Lee is a cornerback commit for Safran's twenty twenty four class. And the thing with Braden Lee is he and Mike Williams are both high school teammates. They both go to the Charles Herbert Flowers School in the state of Maryland, a school that has become a pipeline school now for Shane Beamer and this coaching staff. And in terms of that question, I would venture to say that I don't think Safran fans need to worry about Braden Lee. And there's a couple reasons why I think this. My first point here, Braden Lee has been a longtime target of South Carolina's coaching staff, much longer than even Mike Williams. Braden Lee was offered by Shea Beamer and the staff back in December of 2021, so basically right after their first regular season concluded here in Columbia. Mike Williams, on the other hand, was offered all the way back on January 21st of this current calendar year. So it's not like Brayden Lee and Mike Williams were essentially a package deal in terms of handing out offers to any viable Power 5 prospects at the Charles Herbert Flowers School. Here's the other thing that I think we all need to keep in mind here. Both of these guys play completely different positions on the football field. Now, does that mean that a cornerback can't have a really good and strong friendship and relationship with maybe an offensive lineman on his football team? No, it does not mean that. But... When it comes to guys agreeing to play together, we usually see a combination of guys that play similar positions. I'll use quarterback as an easy example here. If you see a four or five star quarterback commit to a certain program, then typically you're going to see that quarterback get some guys to play with him that play running back, wide receiver, and tight end. If you see maybe a particular edge rusher commit to a football program, then you might see other star edge rushers say, hey... I think I might want to go pair up with this guy at said school. And so you'll see edge rushers, maybe get other edge rushers to commit with them to a particular program. I don't think you could say the same thing about a cornerback and an offensive lineman. That just does not match up well when it comes to what you usually see in terms of guys wanting to play together at the next level. So again, could Mike Williams' D commitment hurt South Carolina's status with Braden Lee? I guess you could make an argument for it, especially if there's some deeper reasoning why this whole thing has now unfolded between the Gamecocks and Mike Williams. But again, from the outside looking in, I just don't see that being the case. I think that South Carolina is going to be just fine in terms of Braden Lee's commitment status to this program from this point forward. Again, unless something drastic changes with his recruitment. All right, now moving on from the gridiron, let's now go to the baseball diamond. As South Carolina's baseball team got a much-needed win against the Georgia Bulldogs in the first round of the SEC baseball tournament in Hoover on Tuesday morning. To give you all my quick thoughts as to how the Gamecocks dismantled the Georgia Bulldogs, I thought that this was the Gamecocks' best all-around performance that they have had Probably since April 20th, which was their Game 1 victory against the Florida Gators, a series in which they swept the number 3 team in the country. And the Gamecocks won that game 13-3, run-ruling the Gators in 7 innings in Founders Park. But going back to what happened yesterday morning, we gotta start with James Hicks. James Hicks was put into some undesirable circumstances in a way on Tuesday morning because South Carolina's pitching staff right now is decimated with injuries. They don't have Bull Sanders. Noah Hall looks to be done for this season. There's a couple of relievers that are either now out for the year or are dinged up with injuries right now, including some of their top guys like Chris Veach. So the Gamecocks desperately needed James Hicks to go out there against Georgia and give them a solid outing. The coaching staff was probably hoping... To get five, six innings out of him of solid work, James Hicks went out there and pitched six and two-thirds innings and probably delivered the best performance that he has had in a Gamecock uniform to this point in his career at South Carolina. His two-seamer was working great. His sinker was working great. His changeup was really good. He trusted the guys behind him. Everybody was in sync in the infield. James Hicks kept the Bulldog batters off balance. He did a great job of mixing things up. His command was good. He rarely was missing pitches. And Georgia's hitting line just could not catch up with him for the majority of this game. South Carolina's hitting lap deserves a lot of credit as well. 12 hits against the Bulldogs. And yes, Georgia might not have the best pitching staff in the SEC. But considering the fact that they threw out five or six different arms, meaning five or six different looks, essentially, for South Carolina, I thought the Gamecocks from top to bottom did a pretty good job. And they did not have to use the home run to generate all these runs. South Carolina had 11 singles on Tuesday morning. I'm going to repeat that. 11 singles. Only one extra base hit, which came via Will Tippett's three RBI triple that he got in the bottom of the seventh. So that was encouraging to see. And yes, you might be a touch concerned about any of these swinging bunts that South Carolina got against Georgia. But either way, you'll take them how you can get them. And South Carolina got them in bunches on Tuesday in the first round. The fielding deserves a lot of credit as well before moving on from this game because the field was quite wet. Obviously, Hoover, it was a very muggy day. It was pretty disgusting in terms of the field conditions. And South Carolina's fielders, which have had their low moments in certain games this season, they handled it quite well on Tuesday morning. So, again, just a great performance, and the guys look to be really happy and fired up by the end of the game. I can't tell you how much this could do for their confidence moving forward. I think that's pretty self-explanatory, though. So let's move on from the Georgia performance and now talk about their upcoming matchup against the LSU Tigers, which they'll play at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time this morning on the SEC Network and also, again, on Sirius XM Radio. In terms of LSU's pitching staff, the Tigers are going to be starting Thatcher Hurd. Now, Hurd is an interesting case here for LSU because... He has not started an SEC game since all the way back on April the 1st. And I don't know if this is maybe due to injuries, but I did happen to notice that Hurd struggled a lot more against SEC opponents than he did against non-conference opponents for LSU this season. So maybe it was a rotational change based on performance. Again, cannot say for certain. But here's Thatcher Hurd's season stats to this point. 6.58 ERA and 41 innings pitched a 1.89 strikeout-to-walk ratio, and teams are batting 266 against Thatcher Hurd. So, not great, but also not bad either. Now, that's the starting pitcher for LSU. Some of the relievers to watch in this game, in my opinion, will be right-handed pitchers, especially since South Carolina is heavily laden with right-handed batters in their hitting lineup. I think you'll see guys like maybe Blake Money Samuel Dutton, Bryce Collins, and potentially a left-handed special pitcher in Nate Akenhausen go out there for the LSU Tigers. And the other thing is this. The Tigers are saving some of their best arms, it seems, for some of these games later in the tournament to try to give those guys some extra rest. So South Carolina might not see some of their best relief pitchers on Wednesday morning, which, of course, I don't think the is going to complain about one bit. Now, in terms of the relievers I did just mention, that group is currently averaging a 5.42 ERA, a 2.02 strikeout-to-walk ratio, and opponents are hitting, on average, 255 against that group of pitchers. So, overall, when looking at LSU's pitching situation going into Wednesday... I think that South Carolina should have their share of opportunities against this pitching staff. I am not overly impressed with the LSU Tigers' arms outside of Paul Skeen's and a couple of their relievers. But what I can tell based on the stat sheet is LSU, it seems, is going to pound the strike zone. Their pitching staff does do a really good job in terms of commanding their pitches, it seems. But that can also get them subsequently in trouble if they leave too many pitches over the heart of the plate. And South Carolina's lineup, as we have seen multiple times this season, possesses the power to make opponents pay if their pitching staff is putting too many right down Broadway when it gets to the plate. So for South Carolina, I think that they got a good matchup here, a favorable matchup with LSU's pitching staff overall. Now let's talk about LSU's batting lineup real quick. This is where, of course, if you're South Carolina, you're going to need to see some probably above-average performances from a multitude of guys on Wednesday. LSU has got really good depth in terms of production in their batting lineup. Five starters have an OPS, which is on-base plus slugging percentage, of 1.050 or higher, which is really good for the college game. And six starters in their lineup have hit 11 or more home runs. So... A lot of depth in terms of power and being able to get on base as well. You could point out multiple star players probably in this lineup, but the three main guys to watch for LSU are Dylan Cruz, the SEC player of the year, Tommy White, and Jared Jones, and maybe Gavin Dugas, who did break the Gamecocks' hearts this past time when South Carolina faced off against the Tigers as he hit that go-ahead grand slam in the eighth inning against Kate Austin in Game 2 of that shortened series. Now, there is one area where I do think South Carolina could get the LSU Tigers in terms of their batting lineup on Wednesday. And that is the Tigers' seemingly aggressive approach at the plate. Because when you take out Dylan Cruz, who has a fantastic strikeout-to-walk ratio, he's drawn like 20-plus more walks than he has strikeouts to this point. If you take him out of the equation, the team has a strikeout-to-walk ratio of 227 So striking out over two times for every one walk that they draw. That is, in my opinion, again, something the Gamecocks can look at as a way of potentially getting these Tiger batters sat down in order. If you're not allowing multiple base runners to reach base consecutively, I think you give yourselves a fighting chance against this Tigers batting lineup. So, in terms of the overall strategy, Mark Kingston did say on Tuesday, or it was reported on Tuesday, I guess, by multiple different beat reporters, that Eli Jones is going to be starting this game. Now, he is going to be working on essentially four and a half days rest because he did pitch in game one this past Friday against the Tennessee Volunteers and did throw a good amount of pitches. So for South Carolina's pitching strategy, I would expect that the Gamecocks are hoping that Eli Jones will give them three to four good innings of work here against the Tigers. And then once Eli Jones has expended all of his energy and you take him out of the game, at that point, you're basically throwing the kitchen sink in terms of looks. Different arms out of your bullpen. Now, LSU's got four left-handed batters in their lineup. So I would expect for South Carolina to potentially give Jackson Phipps a pretty strong look to come into the game at some point on Wednesday. Not saying he's going to be the first guy to come out right after Eli Jones, but I think that Phipps would make a lot of sense based on the matchup against this LSU Tigers lineup. I think you could also see other guys like maybe Nick Proctor, Brett Thomas, and potentially Chris Veach come out. If you can use Veach, of course, but Proctor, one of the best relievers out of the bullpen. I think he ought to be well rested and ready to go. Same goes for Brett Thomas and Brett Thomas has a really nasty curveball, so he could use his breaking stuff to keep the Tigers off bounce. And Chris Feach, I mean, one of the nastiest changeups in the entire SEC. He's been your Swiss Army knife all season long. And I do expect him to be there for the Gamecocks to use him in the 8th or ninth inning if they are vying for a win against LSU. So, my final overall thoughts with this matchup. I think that for South Carolina... You need to see your batting lineup show up for the second game in a row. You need to be able to string together back-to-back performances, not just for the confidence aspect long-term going into the NCAA tournament, but also because of what you're facing in LSU here. LSU has got a fantastic lineup in terms of the hitters that they'll bring up to the plate. And for Safcons' pitching staff, there's certainly no way that they're going to hold them to zero runs like they did the Georgia Bulldogs on Tuesday. And... Just got to be honest, a lot of the top arms for South Carolina right now, again, they're either just unavailable because they need more time to rest up from this past weekend, or they're currently hurt right now. So you're going to be relying on a few guys and really hoping that those guys all show up for the most part. But again, for South Carolina, don't let LSU get hot in a particular inning. If you let them score runs, fine. Just make sure you're mixing that up with getting outs in the field. For the South Carolina's batting lineup, find a way to generate some runs. If that means hitting another 11 singles and just one extra base hit, fine. If that means you unleash the home run ball on the LSU Tigers on Wednesday, either way you slice it, you got to give this pitching staff some help. I think this team is going to know that coming into this game. What you also need to hope for, for the batting lineup's sake is if they do know that the pitching staff needs help, you got to hope they don't press. If they start to press, they could make it easier for LSU to attack them at the plate. So again, going to be a couple of different factors they'll need to play out in the Gamecocks' favor if they want to move on to the winner's bracket of this double elimination round on Wednesday against LSU. With that being said, y'all, that's going to do it for today's show of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. I hope y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show. Again, what are your thoughts on on the potential for South to play Kentucky as a permanent opponent in a 1-7 scheduling model. What are your thoughts on Mike Williams' decommitment from South Carolina? Do you think it's going to impact Brayden Lee's commitment? And what do you think about this baseball matchup against LSU in the SEC tournament on Wednesday morning? Let me know your thoughts on all those topics Dabble in the comment section on YouTube or should be direct message on Twitter at line underscore SC if you listen to today's show on an audio podcast app. Once again, thank y'all so much for tuning in to this Wednesday edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. Have a great rest of your Wednesday and I will catch y'all on the next show right here on the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast.